When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.
to face the crises that are looming in front of us right now, and and the answers that are coming up here are so beautiful and so self-empowering that I I just love my job because I love to go out and tell people how powerful they really are in spite of all the news about frailty and vulnerability. It's like, no, humans are so powerful, and yet it's yes. their belief system that is undermining And I want to thank you. Is stories we're tell. Is it, uh, Silver anniversary, 25 years or something like that. We, we're pretty close to yes. uh, 25 years ago now. That's so, right. Uh, it was actually, yeah. when I think about it, it was 1994, Bruce, when you first appeared on A Better World TV here in our studio, our humble studio in New York City. I so appreciate that because I remember uh, how many of my conventional colleagues at that time, uh, I freaked them out. It's like, oh, Lipton, you're crazy. You know, my, these are colleagues, you know. It's like, that work of yours, is that, that's, that's not right. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, 20-some years ago. It's kind of fun because yeah. uh, at a lecture about a year and a half ago, uh, there was a scientist in my class there, not class, my, my lecture, and um, at the end, uh, he came up to me and said, so, Bruce, so what are you saying that's new? <laughs> and I love it because I went from freaking them out to boring them in 20-some years. So uh, it, it's been a good ride so far. But I'd oh, like that's to good, really... Bruce. You know you're successful when they say things <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> it's, become, well, uh, it's become part of the consensus reality. And that's uh, so important absolutely. when you've got breakthrough ideas, right? Absolutely. And it's really great because uh, the, the whole thing that pivots here and the understanding that I like to talk about is the is is moving from uh presumed victimhood uh into yeah. mastery. And and the idea about it is let's go back uh twenty some years when I was teaching in medical school. I was teaching uh the medical students a concept called genetic determinism. Uh, genetic determinism is a belief almost everybody that's not a scientist still has and that is genes determine the character and quality of your life, genetic determinism. Uh, that's the belief that, oh, my God, there's uh, cancer running in my family, and I'm going to get the gene, I'm going to get the cancer, or there's Alzheimer, and I got that in the, in the family, and I'll get that gene, then I'll get Alzheimer. Uh, an expression of, of victimhood is like I'm a victim of my heredity. Genes are being passed down right. to me. I don't control them. They control me, and, and therefore uh, I just uh, you know look forward to a life of complications uh, based on my family uh, lineage. So that's what I was teaching. In the meantime, in my laboratory, uh, I had the unique opportunity of cloning stem cells. Now, I want people to understand, this is 1967. So, uh, God, that's, oh, that's 50. Early. 50 years old from the research. <laughs> So uh, uh, I'm not saying you how were always ahead of your time, <laughs> young man. Always. <laughs> so here's what my work was. What's a stem cell? Uh, a stem cell is uh, uh, another word for embryonic cell. The the reason why they come up with it is uh, the moment you're before you're born, I do a biopsy, show you a cell, and say, look, oh, here's an embryonic cell. Uh, the moment after you're born, I do the exact same biopsy, show you the exact same cell. Now, oh, there's a stem cell. Basically, mm. uh, after you're born, you're not an embryo. We change the name, but its function is an embryonic cell to re replace cells. You say, well, why should I have stem cells in my body? And the answer is, uh, as Carl Sagan might say, every day we lose hundreds of billions of cells every day. And that's actually <laughs> true. So we're losing uh -huh. skin cells, hair cells, blood cells. All, just all cells are being replaced at a, at a rate. The problem is this. If you're losing these cells, of course you have to 
put new ones back in. And I say, so where do you get all the new cells to replace the billions of cells that die every day? I go, oh, that's why we have stem cells. So it's a multipotential right. so cell. So it's a newly born cell it, it's multiplied actually, it, by 100 billion. A child cell that hasn't gone to school to become something yet. <laughs> so yes. it's like, I'm, Undifferentiated. Uh, I'm not a muscle cell, I'm not a skin cell, but after I go to yes. school, I'll become something. <laughs> so, it's an undifferentiated uh, cell. Exactly. So the, the point is simply this. Uh, I put one stem cell in a culture just by itself. It divides every 10 or 12 hours. So first is one, then there's two, four, eight, 16, doubling and doubling. A week later, 50,000 cells in the Petri dish. But the most important understanding is this. They all came from one parent. So the significance is I have 50,000 genetically identical cells in a Petri dish, embryonic cells. But here's where the experiment just you know blew my mind and changed my life and, and, and just upheaval. And here it was. I take those 50,000 cells and I put them, I split them up into three different Petri dishes. Cells live in an environment. Uh, the environment is called culture medium. And I make that in the laboratory, culture medium. I say, well, what is the basis of culture medium and what is it? I go, well, if I get uh, cells from an organism, I look at the composition of the blood of that organism. If I'm growing mouse cells, I look at mouse blood and see what it's made out of. And then I try to make a replica of that. The replica of the blood is called culture medium. And since I'm making it in a lab, I can adjust some of the composition. And this is what I did. So here's the premise. Three Petri plates, genetically identical cells in each Petri plate. But when I add the growth medium, I make three slightly different versions. So each plate had a slightly different environment. In one dish, the cells form muscle. In the second dish, the cells form bone. In the third dish, the cells form fat cells. And now you're left with a very interesting question. Well, what controls the fate of the cells? Well, if you're going to say genes, I go, well, wait a minute. They all had the same genes. So there was nothing genetically different between the plates. The thing that was different was the environment, the culture medium. And the chemistry of the culture medium was selecting and modifying the gene readout. And why this is so important is here I am in the classroom saying genes control life, and then I go in the laboratory and say the genes didn't control anything. It was the environment that controlled it. So uh, I kept repeating those experiments, and, and you know my colleagues uh, looked askance at it because at that time we were building up the whole genetic story in preparation, in preparation for the human the genome, genome project. project. So everybody's yeah. in the genes, and I'm sitting there on the side going, I, I don't think the genes are really doing this control stuff. I don't think this is right. This is, uh, my experiments reveal the environment, the culture medium. And, and so uh, why this is relevant is this is the uh, pioneering experiments that led to today's new science called epigenetics. Now, what epigenetics means is this. When I, when I say conventional genetic control, which almost everyone out there has been programmed with, that's the belief that genes make decisions, genes turn on and off, and genes control the character of your life. Recognizing that you didn't pick the genes as far as we know, that you received at conception, then basically it says the genes control your life and you don't control the genes, and therefore you're a victim of your heredity, and that's where the basis of something running in the family is running in the family, and I'm going to get it because i got the genes. And that's the belief yeah. system if genes can control things. Well, here's a simple fact, and, and everyone has to get this. This is not, there is no fudging around with this fact. This is the fact. Genes, and I'll say it first in a 
big word. <laughs> Genes are mm-hmm. not self-actualizing. What, what that really means is this. Genes cannot turn themselves on and genes cannot turn themselves off. Genes have no control over their own expression. And that becomes really critical because if you're saying a gene causes cancer, and I go, no, wait, a gene doesn't cause anything. It doesn't control things on and off. The gene has no on and off to it. And and so we believe that, you know, our lives, oh, a gene turned on and did this, and a gene turned off and did that. And I go, no, the genes have no control over themselves. Anytime anybody ever hears a gene turned on or off or a gene controls, uh, that's a mistake. It's a misunderstanding. It's a flawed perception. And the point is this, signals from the environment control the genetics. Uh, and, and, and why that's important is um, when I say genetic determinism, the fact that I was teaching that, that meant genes make decisions and control the outcome. When I say epigenetic control versus genetic control, it almost sounds the same. Epi is epigenetic control. I say, what's epi After, mean? beyond. Epi, epi means above. So if I say genetic control, that's saying control by genes. If I say epigenetic control, I'm saying literally control above the genes. That which controls the genes. Yes, the genes have no – a gene is a blueprint. I swear to God, if you can just see how plain it is in this regard, you go into an architect's office and she's working on a blueprint. You say, is your blueprint on or off? And she looks at me, what do you mean on and off? It's a blueprint, no on and off here. I go, precisely, a gene is a blueprint, no on and off. It's controlled by factors above the gene, which are the environment, and in this case, the culture medium. And you're going, okay, Bruce, nice, nice story, cells in a plastic Petri dish, the culture medium, the equivalent of blood, is controlling the genetics. What does it have to do with me? And I go, here's the beautiful part. And we get to this real ending part so you and I could have a discussion. Uh, here's yeah. the ending part. The human body, when you look at it in the, in the mirror, and, you, uh, uh, and my friend looks, Mitchell looks in the mirror and he looks back and he says, oh, look, handsome, one human organism called Mitchell, one <laughs> organism. And I go, Mitchell, that's a misperception. And it's a misperception because what you can't see with your eyes is that your body is not a one thing. It's made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. The community of cells that is representing your body, that's a community that has a name. Uh, in your case, your community is called Mitchell. So when you say Mitchell, it's, it's a name for 50 trillion cells. Uh, the jokey part of this whole thing is that a human is a skin-covered Petri dish with 50 trillion cells inside. And I go, what's the relevance? I go, well, there's culture medium inside. The original culture medium is called blood. And I go, so what's the relevance of that? And I go, in the laboratory, it's the chemistry of the blood that controls the genetics. And I go, well, does it make a difference then if the cell is in a plastic dish or in my skin-covered dish? I go, no difference. So what's the relevance? It's the chemistry of your blood that controls your genetics, not the genes controlling themselves. And then all of a sudden now comes the big, the big question. Well, the, what controls the chemistry of my blood? Because if the chemist right. is controlling the composition, then by definition the chemist is controlling the genetic expression. I go, yeah. So here it's a two-step answer. The first step is the brain as a mechanism 
is the chemist. The brain releases chemical signals, hormones, growth factors, neurochemicals into the blood. Those chemical signals go to the cells, and they control the genetics epigenetically. So I say, oh, oh, okay, so my brain is the chemist. It controls the chemistry of the blood. The chemistry of the blood controls my genetics, which is the character of my life. And I go, yeah, now we're down to the final and most interesting part. I say, so what chemicals should the brain release into the blood? I go, ah, it's based on the mind. Whatever the mind sees, the image that it sees is converted by the brain into chemistry that matches what you see. It's sort of like paint by numbers in reverse. When you're younger, you paint by numbers. You start with a whole bunch of numbers and these little patterns. You fill in the numbers are colors. You fill in the colors with the numbers, and lo and behold, you get this beautiful picture. And I go, the mind is reverse paint by numbers. First, you start with the picture. And the brain breaks the picture down into numbers, but the numbers are not paints. They're neuroregulatory hormones and chemicals. And so what is the conclusion? Thank you for the time. <laughs> the conclusion is this. Yes. Whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain will take that picture, break it down into complementary chemistry that matches that picture. The chemistry then goes to the blood. The chemistry in the blood then adjusts the genetics and the behavior of the cell to deal with the picture. So your life is not really dealing with what's going on in the world as much as it's dealing with what's going on in your mind. Uh, uh, the point is simple. Uh, you, you could live in the most beautiful world, but if you have fear and anxiety and negative, and your picture of that same world uh, is like, oh, my God, it's a scary picture the way you, you see it, I go, well, then the chemistry that comes out of the brain and a scary picture is not the same chemistry that comes out of a picture of a brain that's in love. And, and, and so, uh, just quickly... I.e. Uh, the honeymoon effect. What's that? I.e. the honeymoon effect, one that's of your exactly fine books. About. So, uh, yes. basically it says, look, I open my eyes, I see a world I love, and people I love, and my life is love. I go, the first thing the brain releases in love is pleasure. Dopamine. Dopamine comes out of the brain because it says, yeah, I'm living in harmony and life is beautiful. Then oxytocin comes out of the brain. And the oxytocin bonds you with everything that's giving you pleasure so that you you bond with things that are giving you pleasure. And then I say, what else? I say, well, vasopressin uh, is released when you're in love. I go, what does that do? Well, that makes you more attractive physically. Uh, and that's to keep you more attractive to whatever you know partner is looking at you or whatever people are with mm-hmm. you that you appear more uh, attractive and and then uh, a major thing when you're in love uh, is growth hormone comes out of the brain and growth hormone mm-hmm. already tells you that's what the name is it adds growth to your system and that's why just think about it when people fall in love and other people observe them. They go, oh, look. Look how they glow. See how much love they're in. They can see the love. It glows. Why? The yeah. physiology of the body is being adjusted by the chemistry of love. And, and that's health. And I say, same person, though, all of a sudden sees the image. That's scary. A scary image. And I say, well, the moment the mind sees scary the chemistry of love is not going to be secreted by the brain. The 
chemistry that's going to come out of the brain is going to be a complement to what the scary thing is. If something is threatening you, then what comes out of the brain are stress hormones, cortisol, things like that, inflammatory agents, things like histamine, uh, epinephrine, these kinds of things that get you ready for fight or fight. So I said, wait a minute. Bottom line, and here's the conclusion. We have believed that genes (coughs) control our fate and character. The fact is this. This is not true. It's the chemistry released by the brain that is carried by the blood to the cells that controls the genetics. Therefore, the genetic activity is an expression of that individual's perception of life. Two people standing right next to each other in the exact same spot are looking at the world and they're having totally different chemistry coming from the brain because each one is seeing it slightly different than the other. And as a result, the brain is releasing slightly different chemistry. And as I said, changing the chemistry in the tissue culture dish just slightly changed from cells, from muscle cells to bone cells to fat cells with slight changes. And I go, every day we look at the world and every day we're adjusting our genetics day by day. And when people buy into the story cancer gene, they're so taken by a wrong story and that's really bad because perception controls the chemistry. And I say, well, there's a heck of a different perception of a person that leaves the doctor's office with clean bill of health, you're healthy, go out and enjoy life, and the perception of the one that walks out saying, oh, my God, I just got uh, an, you know, a diagnosis of a cancer. Sentence. And I say, well, what's the difference? I say, the one with the diagnosis of cancer is actually releasing chemistry to complement the image of cam- cancer. And, in fact, it will make the cancer worse. Yikes. It is an elegantly told story, Bruce Lipton. And for us to digest this as a nation, as an entire world population, would completely save us trillions of dollars in healthcare. <laughs> oh, my God. We, we Number one. <laughs> Mitch, for a fact, we would now, win the Olympics. Can you imagine? We, we would, we the would be lovers that really of the got world. This? We would That's be right. loving things, and and when things That's are in right. love, they grow and they're healthy and they're harmony. It's it's fear that closes all that down. It's in fact, there's a fact of science. Disease only less. This is a real number. Less than one percent of disease can be attributed to genes. Over 90% of disease is total lifestyle. What images you see, what behaviors you express, these are where the chemicals are are coming from the brain into the body. And uh, this is the simplest and clearest picture of mind-body relationship. Mind makes a picture. Brain breaks the picture down into chemistry that matches the picture. The chemistry is carried by the blood to the cells. The body... part the cells respond and create a health character that is a complement to the image and this is why like i said there's no cancer gene you know it's like angelina jolie has a double mastectomy why because her mother died of breast cancer her grandmother died of breast cancer uh her family uh pushed her and said look uh the best thing you can do is have double mastectomy you don't have breast cancer because you don't have any breasts 
uh, and it turns out that's a fallacious belief system because it will affect the reproductive tract elsewhere, so that's not necessarily sure. helpful. And I because don't know why picturing, it's The picturing will show up somewhere in her body. Absolutely, because the mind has an image. Uh, something is wrong. The cancer, you see, cancer, people think, is the problem. Cancer is a symptom. Cancer yes. is an expression that your life is not in harmony. And so when we uh, we look at that, and I go, here's a fact that we need we need to put out right here, and that is Angelina Jolie does this because she has what is called the BRCA1 cancer gene. I go, oh, so if you have the BRCA1 cancer gene, you're going to get cancer. And I, well, that's the belief. And I go, well, here's the truth. Only 50% of the women that have the BRCA1 gene get cancer. The, the emphasis is very clearly this. 50% of the women with the gene never get the cancer. Why is that relevant? Having the gene itself is not the cause of the cancer. It's lifestyle that's not in harmony with life, uh, belief issues, uh, fears, emotions that are negative. These are the uh, source of where the chemicals of cancer come from. And so Absolutely. you can have a so-called cancer gene. It's like you don't, you don't get cancer from the gene. The cancer is from the lifestyle. The gene is supporting uh, that cancer but does not cause that cancer. Got it. So for those women with that gene who do get cancer, it is, as you're saying, related to their perception of the power of that gene to actually um, set up a cancerous condition. A cancerous it's condition their belief is and their picturing and their languaging to themselves that bring about the condition, which yeah. can happen to someone without the gene as well and does all the time. Up to, from between 70 and 90% of cancer has no hereditary linkage in the first place. It's lifestyle. It's totally lifestyle. You're creating a stress. You're not resolving the stress. The stress continues. Stress, by its definition, is a chemical change. Uh, I can tell when you're stressed. I just read the composition of your blood. I can tell you when stress levels are there versus love levels. It's totally different chemistry. Indeed. And, and Indeed. therefore, it was the stress that precipitated the cancer, not the gene. And, and therefore, uh, you say, well, why does it run in families? Because behavior is programmed in the first seven years of a child's life. So if the mother has a behavior that will push her toward cancer, a behavior that's not healthy for her, a child in her family, especially uh, a female in her family, is going to download that mother's behavior. We, we download our behavior from our parents for seven years. So uh, uh, if you're in a family and the mother has cancer and you're a, a woman in that family, then by definition... There was some behavior that your mother was expressing that precipitated the cancer. You've been programmed with that behavior the first seven years, and that unconscious programming is will unconsciously precipitate the cancer again. So the idea is, yeah, there's something running in families. It's not the gene. It's the behavior that is not in harmony and health with the individual is propagated uh, in that first seven years. Uh, because the first seven years of a child's life, the brain is in, in a state called theta, a vibrational state. Uh, it's just below consciousness. 
uh, it's associated with imagination. Uh, And so children, especially between two and seven, operating from theta are the kids that mix the real world, the imaginary world, and the real world together. They're they're writing a broom. The mother says, give me the broom. And the kid is like, uh, not even aware of what the mother's asking for. Why? On uh, on that broom, the kid is, it's a horse. To the kid, this is a horse. (laughs) It's not a broom anymore. And in the imagination... Uh, that kid is it, it, it is the horse, and I say, well, fine. Imagination, theta. What is that? And I go, theta is hypnosis, and this is how we get uh, uh, downloaded with programs to start our lives. And I say, well, you, you don't come with the program; you download the programs of behavior. And I say, well, where do you download it? I say, from your environment, your your parents and your siblings and your community. So. What's being propagated? Yes, genes are being propagated. Angelina Jolie has the BRCA1 gene. No, no doubt about that. That was running in the family. The cancer is running in the family. I go, yeah, but it's not the gene that was causing the cancer. It was a behavior that was out of harmony with life, generally one that promotes uh, uh, dissatisfaction, anger, uh, hopelessness kind of thing, uh, that kind right. of behavior. That's the one that will activate the cancer gene. See, so when the gene is activated, it wasn't activated because it turned on and said, hey, it's time for cancer. The gene was activated because the chemistry and the environment selected that gene as a complement to the expression of that person's uh, behavior. Oh, so beautiful. Let's let everyone you know that you are listening to Dr. Bruce Lipton here on A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin. Bruce is the author of The Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, The Honeymoon Effect, and is a world-renowned lecturer and teacher about these subjects of deprogramming us, if you will, on the larger level from the gene story that we have all mythically bought into based on a lack of proper scientific understanding of the role of genes in human health and overall in human life. Bruce, again, it's sort of like I've heard this story many times, and every single time I listen to it like it's a novel adventure (laughs) in understanding human life and emotions <laughs> and well, health. You know, it really me, is. It's... It was a radical change in my own life experience because of at course. some point I started to realize, this, wait a minute, uh, if I change my attitude, if I change my emotions, if I change the, the behavior of my daily behavior, which in, in this early days was much more stressful for me, um, yes. I realized it, it was the behavior. If I could change that, then uh, then I could change my health. And this is exactly what happens in a spontaneous remission. A person is riddled with cancer, terminal, they're going to die, according to the doctor. Uh, and at some point with that diagnosis, the patient goes, oh, okay, my life is just out of order. Uh, I'm just going to let go of all my stresses. I'm going to leave the job. I only got a short time left. Uh, I'm just going to take my time and, and enjoy what's left of my life. And then mm-hmm. what happens is as soon as they switch to that, all of a sudden the cancer goes away. And that's what's called spontaneous remission. It was a radical change in behavior. Uh, nothing changing the genes, just the behavior. Uh, and so this is the key. When we talk about this notion of upregulating genes, 
tell me if this is correct. When we have a certain emotional expression, let's just say the we we conjure, evoke inside our hearts and minds a sense and feeling of love and of gratitude. Would that then correlate with what we call upgrading or upregulating the uh, the excitement, if you will, excitation of certain genes instead of others? Yes, no, yes, and then be careful. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. <laughs> the, the be careful part comes in, is this. We're, we're talking about mind-controlling body. And I go, yeah, that's a fact. But then, and this is the part that we have to understand, because this part that I'm just going to say now is the misunderstanding that prevents us from taking the control in our life. And here's what the misunderstanding is. There's not one mind, there are two minds. There's the conscious okay, mind. Okay, the conscious and subconscious. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's really sure. that's the critical part because uh, conscious sure. mind is connected to your spirituality. Conscious mind is the creative mind that has wishes and desires and what you want. What do you want from life? If you answer that question, the answer comes from the conscious mind. It's a creative mind. It, it can think about the future, what you want. The other mind is a very wonderful and very powerful. In fact, it's a million times more powerful than the conscious mind. It's the subconscious. And you go, well, what about the subconscious? A lot of people think, well, that's where all the evil comes from. I go, no, no, The subconscious no. is just a re- record playback. That's all it is. Recording device. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- here's a good thing. Uh, most of us learn to walk before two. And I go, yeah, and then what? And I said, do you ever have to learn to walk again? No. Well, <laughs> I say, how do you know how to walk? I said, it's a program in my subconscious mind. Oh, great. Uh, most of us know the alphabet from A to Z. I go, uh, do you have to stumble on it? Uh, you may sometimes, but then you'll go in your head and you'll remember the sequence, and you go, oh, G-H-I-J, and, and you'll know it. I say, <laughs> there's a program of the alphabet. It's in your mind. You don't have to relearn the alphabet. You don't have to relearn how to drive the car every day when you get in the car. Once you learn something, it becomes a habit. So I say, ah, conscious mind is the creative mind, and the subconscious mind is primarily the habit mind. And I go, okay, so what's the, what's the important point? And here it is. The conscious mind is you. And as long as you maintain uh, your consciousness, you're running from consciousness, you're creating from your wishes and desires. And the biggest problem that people don't realize is this. If the conscious mind is not paying attention, then all of the behavior is now controlled like default to autopilot, subconscious. Uh, And I say, well, why should the conscious mind not pay attention? And here's the answer. And this is the shocking part because we don't realize it. The conscious mind that we can control every activity consciously operates about 5% of the day. You go, well, what about the rest of the day? And here's the problem. 95% of the day, people's conscious minds are in thought, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. I go, well, why is it relevant? If your conscious mind is in thought, by definition, it's not paying attention to what's going on in the outside world. Uh, I, I, I give an example to you, Mitchell, and everyone out there uh, uh, on, this, on this radio. I say, uh, what, what are you doing on Friday at 2 o'clock? If I ask that question and you seriously try to answer that question, my point is, where's the answer coming from? Is it outside somewhere? No. When I say, what are you doing on Friday at 2 o'clock, you immediately your mind goes inside, tries to think, you know, what day is today, what's Friday, what am I doing? And I go, that's the point. When you are thinking, 
the conscious mind's on the inside looking for data or ideas. And I say, yeah, but if it's on the inside, then it's not paying attention to what's going on, on the outside. I go, right. I say, well, does that mean if I'm thinking I stop, my my life is just stop action? I, I'm having a thought. I'm stopping. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you're walking, you can continue walking. You're Hold driving everything. Car. You can do it. You're talking to somebody. You can still be talking and have a thought. Here's the problem, and if, and this is the crux of the whole thing, Mitchell, my friend, and that is this. 95% of the day, our mind is in thought. That means, by definition, 95% of the day, our behavior, by default, is controlled by the subconscious, the autopilot. And I go, well, okay, so, and I go, yeah, but the problem is this. The behavior in your conscious mind is behavior associated with your wishes and desires. But the programs of behavior in your subconscious mind didn't come from you primarily. They were downloaded in the first seven years by observing your parents. The so the movie yeah. The Matrix is not science fiction. It's a documentary. And the yeah. fact is every one of us, there's no exception, every one of us has been programmed by others during the first seven years of our life and that in the subconscious, those programs are there. And the issue is 95% of the day, the behavior that you express is not coming from wishes, desires, conscious creativity. 95% of the day, the behaviors are coming from the program. Now, now uh, on top of that, this other piece of news, attention. Scientists <laughs> have recognized, psychiatrists have recognized that 70% or so of those Programs are limiting, self, uh, 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 self-limiting, disempowering. Self-limiting. Uh, uh, these these are programs that don't support us. Seventy percent or more of that download, and I go, okay. Negative now self-image, negative uh, self-esteem. Exactly, uh, critical of self, very critical. Lack of love of yeah. self because we're critical of ourselves. Uh, all this comes from that first seven years. And I go, why is it relevant? Then I say, you are only running your life with positive thoughts, which are the conscious mind. That's what you have in your conscious mind. I, I want love, happiness, joy, health, a great job. I go, yeah, those are very positive. The thought, positive thoughts work 5% of the day. 95% of the day, the behavior coming out is not coming from the conscious mind. It's coming from the program. And 70% of that is negative. And then, you, then of course, the, the point is, oh, well, I'd be aware of the fact of, uh, that I was, you know, playing some bad behavior. And I go, no, you won't. <laughs> and the reason mm-hmm. is this. The conscious mind is preoccupied with thought. So when the behavior from the subconscious is playing, we're the ones that don't even see our own behavior because the conscious mind is preoccupied. I, I've given I, I've given the same story uh, on on the show maybe ten years ago, Mitchell. Let me yeah. give it again because I, I give it in all my lectures because it's the sure. one story that almost everybody in the audience gets, and it's the most profound story. And here it is. Uh, I'm going to suggest that sometime during your life you had a friend and you were very close to your friend, so you knew your friend's behavior very well, but you also knew your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the same behavior as their parent. <laughs> yes, it's very exciting because you can't wait to tell them. <laughs> so you go, yes. hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And then you back away from Bill. Bill goes ballistic. How the hell can you compare me to my dad? I'm not my dad. And everyone starts to laugh in the audience. Why? They have familiarity with it. And I go, that's a, sure. most, stop. 
most profound story. That you go most profound. I go yes. Here's why. Bill was programmed by his father. When Bill is thinking 95% of the day and playing those subconscious programs, Bill's the one that can't see it. So everybody else can see that Bill's playing his dad's program and behaving just like his dad. And then when confronting Bill with that, you're just like your dad. Bill's the one that goes, what are you talking about? I'm not like my dad. I'm not, I don't have that same. I'm not that behavior. And it's like, wow, everybody else can see if Bill behaves like that. Only Bill can't see that he's playing these programs and 70% of them are self-sabotaging. And then I go, everybody's laughing because, oh, yeah, that's funny. I remember that. And I go, stop. Everyone identifies. Everyone is Bill. There's not one of us out here in this world right now that is not Bill for the simple reasons. By definition and biological development, the first seven years is a download of programs from other people, and that 95% of the life will come from those programs. And that's why that book some people are familiar with, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is the mm-hmm. story that if you grew up in a rich family, you'll be rich even if you're stupid. Why? Because the programming underneath the will program have you there. choose all the yeah. right decisions. And if you grow up poor and you have a conscious wish and desire to be rich, it's not going to happen. Why? Because 95% of your life is coming from the mentality of the poverty. Well, I want to add a little correction to that. It's not that Please. it won't happen. It's that... Your, your probability is in the direction of the program received between zero and seven. In fact, I like to go back even prenatally, as I know you do as well. Those first I nine do. months are actually highly influential in the whole larger picture. However, the last, the last trimester is, uh, is programming. The yeah. last trimester of pregnancy. So you, and, but I will even say that the earlier trimesters are programs on the level of frequency and energy. So while it might not be the most, uh, uh, let's say, um, fully articulated emotion, it is energy that's still received because that, that being is still actually part of the mother and is experiencing life as is the mother, at least on the level of frequency. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, okay. my friend. Yes. So uh, let's take this other step, though, because it could sound a little deterministic by the way you're putting this relative to that 70%, 30% um, you know, differentiation that you're making, which I very much appreciate. I want to make clear to people that when you step out of thought, and we have a lot of traditions mainly coming from the East, but also in the West, of self-awareness, training of meditative practice that allows us to have an easier relationship let's put it that way bruce with the contents of our mind i.e the thoughts and we create some space in between those thoughts and we gain some level of objectivity toward those thoughts that allows the space for those unconscious thoughts and feelings and self-doubt to unwind and unravel, if you will, coming to the light of consciousness, if you will, and release and relax some of their subconscious pressure and hold on us. In that way, we are detaching, seeing and then detaching and letting go. It's a letting go practice of some of those things that had been otherwise dominating our lives. That window allows someone who, let's say in this case, was raised poor 
to recondition, reprogram him or herself to a different kind of out- outcome. Your thoughts? Absolutely. This, as a matter of fact, this would be the crappiest phone call if I could, if I had to say, "Well, I'm sorry, your program's done." <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the whole idea is sorry, folks. There is no hope. <laughs> but the idea is, first, you have to know you have a program because the program is invisible exactly. because it operates when you don't see it. Uh, uh, and let me right. just give a, a boost here because you're familiar <laughs> with the honeymoon effect, and most everyone sure. out there has had some time in their life where they've fallen in love, uh, and, and it may have not lasted very long, a few days, a week, a month. Uh, and I say in that time period, uh, which I call the honeymoon, um, no matter how crappy their life was up until they met this person, the moment they met this person, within like 24 hours, all of a sudden, life is like, oh my God, so beautiful! Everything I yeah. love, everything, everything is great. Uh-huh. I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm having love, and and all That's that. That's like, low. Oh, you, you, what yeah. happened? And, and I want people to understand. Uh, as I said, uh, the the um, the Matrix movie is a do- is a documentary because they we've all been programmed. And in that movie, they talk about if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. And now, what we find out from science is. When people fall in love like that, they stay mindful without knowing it, meaning they stop thinking as much. And it makes sense. I'll tell you why. If you've been looking for someone your whole life, they show up in your face. Why would you spend your time thinking? You you keep your mind present because this is what I've been wanting. It's here. I'm looking. It's what I want. So you stop (laughs) thinking. And I go, and what was the consequence of uh, of that equivalent of the red pill. You stop thinking when you fell in love. That means you started operating almost always, uh, 90% or more, from the conscious part of the brain, which is wishes yeah. and desires. So when two people fall in love and their nervous system is now being controlled by wishes and desires, they manifest that heaven. The, the honeymoon disappears, though, because at some point thinking starts to come back in because you have so much life, you know, a job, chores, work, whatever. Yes. Uh, and once thinking cuts back in, you revert back to the old life again, and then all of a sudden the honeymoon disappears. So uh, there is the, the fact that we've been programmed like the Matrix. There is the fact that most people have had some period equivalent of the red pill. Uh, that's the falling yes. in love part. And Absolutely. how their life was so dramatically different from one day to the next day after they fell in love. Uh, and it's like, that would be your life if you never re- – if you didn't go back to the damn subconscious, you would have the honeymoon for the rest of your life. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So and, the point and, and that so you're making it's just a revealing a revealing factor that, that yeah. what would life be like if you didn't have the negative programs the answer is if you've fallen in love and had the honeymoon, that's what life would be like without the negative you're programs. You're given you're given a taste of a different kind of life. Absolutely. Yes. But let's yeah. also remind each other that we can break through we call, call it the honeymoon effect, and it's a great name, and it's a wonderful book. And we interviewed you, you know, a couple of years ago when it first came out. Uh, however, we want to understand that we can break through to that level of greater objectivity toward our thought processes. Control. I mean, one of my teachers, I love quoting the name of his book, Bruce, is Richard Bandler, the one of the founders of neuro linguistic programming whose uh, one of his books was called Using Your Brain for a Change. <laughs> and basically, <laughs> and that's true. It's 5%. People, we're only using it 5%. Are, 
people are being used by their brain, they're being used by their subconscious program, but once they have the moment of attention to that even idea, like the red pill, oh my God, there's a way out of here, as Jimi Hendrix used to say, you know, I can yeah. step out of the program, I have the consciousness to do it, and I can actually maintain that for increasing spells of time and be you standing can on the it. outside looking in. Yeah. And uh, then uh, I can consciously, then I can, of course, consciously program myself through the picturing of choice, like you were talking about at the very beginning. I can picture love. I can picture gratitude. I can picture joy. I can picture a healthy body. And lo and behold, as you were so elegantly saying, the brain translates that into blood chemistry with a very fine alchemical mix of hormones and chemistries. And before you know it, you have a body that is following the lead of its environment because the genes get, and please correct me if this is not the right word, upregulated to match the chemistry which is in the blood, which is the environment to the cells and to the genes. That's absolutely right. And and the concept of and people have heard of fake it until you make it. This is that's exactly that's the process. Faking it is if you are not happy but you, you make the effort as I want I am happy. I am happy. I am that's happy. Right. What what's happening is the chemistry of the brain when you practice I am happy uh, is the chemistry of happy and if you it keep repeating message, that right. it makes a habit. And and, yeah. and it will then do it automatically. You will be happy without even making the effort to be happy because the system will learn to make that pattern. And so that's the important part. And let me add this because um, it's really important to recognize, um, so, hey, what are my programs? <laughs> yeah, and you say, right. Well, what do I mean, what are my programs? Uh, uh, and the answer is, since, as you said, and, and we started prenatally with programs, uh, and, yes. and you were being programmed at zero and one and two. And if I say, well, what, was, what did you get? What was your program? You go, I don't know what the hell the program was. I wasn't there, really. <laughs> I go, so let me, let me make it easy for people. This is the easy step, another uh, way of, look, it's not as hard as you think. <laughs> and it goes like this. Your life, by definition, 95% of it is coming from the program. So by definition, your life is a printout of your subconscious programs. So, uh, in other words, instead of going to a shrink and saying, so how did I end up this way? <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you look at your life, and here's how beautiful it is. Since your life is a reflection of the program, you look at your life, and, and A, everything that you like that comes into your life, that you have, things that you like and they're in there, they're there because you have a program that supports that. But this is the one I want people to pay attention to. Anything you work hard at, anything you struggle over, anything you sweat over, anything you're putting a lot of effort in to make it happen. Question, why are you working so hard? Why are you working so hard? Answer, your subconscious has a program that doesn't support that. So basically, all of a sudden it says, well, you want to change your life? I say, yeah. What are the issues that are directly uh, conflicting with you that you are struggling to acquire or obtain? You're trying to get there and it's not working. Uh, well, I could just tell you, those issues represent a program in your life. If you're looking for relationships and and you have trouble and trouble working with it, it's not it's not you. There's a program in there 
that will that will you know sabotage relationships 95% of the day invisible to you only recognized by the conscious mind is by the fact that you don't have a relationship that you're looking for Absolutely. and why you in struggling. other words don't take it personally <laughs> it's just <laughs> a program but that perspective that perspective gives you leverage over the program Absolutely. Something Bruce, you that can't I, do any, if you don't know what the program is, then what the hell can you do? So the first thing is, what are my programs? Yeah. And then the answer is, sure. just look at your life and recognize right. that everything that is a struggle for you is an expression of a program uh, that you can't overcome that with the existing program. You have to change the program. So now you exactly. know where you have to, to go. take a step above, which is where epigenetics comes in, where right. creating a metaposition comes in, right? And right. that you are the father of epigenetics. You know, you have empowered your <laughs> students and the world and your readers and everyone. Um, truly. No, this is very, very important and very powerful. And I'll it, tell you, along the same line, I, I tell my own clients and students, and I'm not a shrink, but I do help people with counseling, and, but the message is a positive one. It's first I actually say, tell me about the good things that you learned from your early years, from your influence of your mother and your father, and by the way, your siblings and your peers. Tell me the good things in your life that you like, that you feel good about. And because it's very important, I think, for people to really realize that they've received a little of everything from their parents. And when you create a good resonance field, if you will, between what they see first and glancing back, so to speak, of what they've gotten from their parents, that opens up the gateway because that builds some confidence that opens up the gateway for them to take a look at some of the things they may not like, you know, and that starts to give them a different, uh, more, you know, a grounded vantage point to look at maybe some of their reactivity, some of their anger issues, some of their conflicts and concerns. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and really what's very helpful in here is to understand relationships. When you make a relationship with people, you, you make it, you start it with your conscious mind. So the behavior you start with with a relationship is the wishes and desires mind of what you really want. And, and that, yes. uh, you know, starts a relationship. It starts to get sabotaged when you start thinking and then behaviors that you wouldn't do, but you got them from your family, all of a yes. sudden start showing up invisible to On you. On your mind. And yeah. your partner looks at you and goes, who the hell are you? Where'd that come from? Uh, and the fact yeah. was, uh, and you have no idea because, like Bill, uh, you just played uh, your parents' behavior. You didn't even sure. see it, so you're not even you don't even know what the behavior was. So to, the whole thing about a relationship, uh, why it can be very helpful or it could it just can be screwed out, is if both partners recognize, hey, listen, I play these programs unconsciously. <laughs> They're not really yes. great. And it's, I'm not doing it with a conscious thing, you know, to do it consciously. It's invisible. So if it comes out and, and we both are aware that each of us have these, then we can say to the other person, oh, man, maybe you didn't see that, you know, that behavior that wasn't really very good. Because the go- you, we, like Bill, 
you can't see your negative behaviors because they play when you're not when you're not paying attention. So if you have a partner who is aware of this and the negative behavior comes out, rather that uh, the, they get upset, and the, but they recognize, oh, this is a behavior. It's not you. It's a program. And That's and right. if they can, you can communicate with each other. Then you say, oh yeah, I want to change that program. And the fact is, every time it shows up, if a partner says, oh, there it is again, that's like a, a pattern interrupt. It stops the program. Exactly. And by repetition, that program will stop. Build a new program. Oh. Excuse me? Yes. No, so, no, I said build a new program. Build a new program. and then But two people working together can create the new program. Absolutely. One person trying to do it is, is challenged because when the negative things come out, they're the ones that don't see it, so it's hard, hard exactly. to adjust the they program if to, you can't see well, it. That's why they say, Bruce, one of the uh, the great sage sayings from the past is that your greatest guru is your partner. This is to be found in Jungian psychology and uh, elsewhere across the whole world. There's a, a great phrase also of about the Zen Buddhist master. They say, do you want to know how enlightened he is? Ask his wife. <laughs> well, uh, now that you bring it up, I can use those as well because that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the resolution. If you cannot see it, and someone close to you that you can talk with on a level, and because if someone says that to to another person, oh, that was crappy behavior, and that other person is totally unaware of what we're talking about, they take yes. that as a personal attack. Oh, it's an attack on me. No, no, no. It, it's really saying that your unconscious behavior is not supporting you. You can't see it. I'm not attacking That's you. Right. I'm bringing That's to right. your attention the invisible that you were sabotaging yourself and you didn't see it. So if it comes out in a conversation, then resolution can happen. But if it comes out in exactly. conflict, uh, then that leads to a breaking up of a relationship. It, it leads to war. And, you yeah, know, exactly. I say war, and I'm, we, you know, when you and I say something like that, we're not just talking about a war between two people. We're also implying a war between nations, because nations is just a bunch of people. I keep telling people, Bruce, that their institutions really do not exist. Governments do not exist. They appear to exist, but all they are is the outer skin, if you will, of a community of cells and people you know, in the holonic structure of everything, you know, uh, and, and so when you're a, dealing ultimately with people, right, so you're dealing yeah. with a hierarchy of conscious and subconscious issues, and the only way to create peace ultimately on the planet is dealing with what we're dealing with on a micro level, you know, you use the word for so long, fractal consciousness and fractal, fractal evolution, it, which was the name of our very first interview 22 some wow. odd years yeah. ago. And I'm just, in a sense, echoing or, or expanding outward to another level of scale the same notion that we're dealing with individuals um, handling of their own conscious and subconscious minds, understanding that they have leverage over the, the whole shooting match if they dare to actually embrace the science that you, in your daring pioneering work as a cellular biologist, has helped to bring to the foreground, which informs our evolutionary possibilities. And we are at this day and age, at this moment, 
uh, we, we are cells. Uh, each person is a cell in a larger organism, a nation. Yeah. And and the nation is going under an evolutionary upheaval at this moment. And uh, and it's important because this is a time for us to regain conscious control because our evolution is going to be a conscious evolution where we collectively decide we don't want to live this old way with war, violence, pollution. We collectively as cells want to work in harmony and love. And the only way that's going to happen is through a conscious, a change in consciousness and a recognition of these invisible programs that are, are the destructive behaviors that are undermining us. Yes, absolutely. So well put. So, I mean, I'm such a, we've all been so programmed by the, you know, I have to say, pseudoscientific perspective that is embedded in our entire culture about the role of the gene. And your work has liberated us, for those who are ready and willing to listen, from that program. That in itself is a program. And we have to step outside of that program and recognize what you have come to see under the microscope, for crying out loud. It's not like, (laughs) you know, you were on another planet and came back with the information. And, you know, you've been able to demonstrate the reality in a Petri dish of what is really going on and what the right relations are between parts. And if we were to digest that, truly everything can pivot on that awareness that you have brought forward. Well, I I know it can because that's your work. You see, your work is the output of, so if this is true, what do we do about it? Uh, And that's why it's fun for me. I don't have to do that work. I just say, this is how it works. (laughs) And now, okay, find the people that you want. (laughs) That's right, right. I'm applying it. (laughs) Exactly. And it's funny because the simple truth was, when I first started lecturing about this, I, I, I got people, if I could grab them and get them into a room when I first started, and I, I started to tell them yes. about this new biology, and I say, well, right. w- with this new biology, you, you could have the most wonderful, happy, and uh, healthy life. Uh, and then the people in the audience would look at me, and their heads would tilt a little bit, and they'd look at me and go, you know, Lipton, your life doesn't look that good for a guy who says, you know, that you could have this life. And I realized, and this is the most important step, and that was yes. it. My conscious mind became aware of this, but my life was still running 95% from the original program. So even in spite of the fact that I had this massively great piece of knowledge, it did not apply to my life because I was still doing 95%. It was the wake-up of recognizing, oh, my God, I have to change that subconscious. Otherwise, uh, I will be a victim of the subconscious the rest of my life. Sure. And you have, and the healer on, a, on a personal level, you have, and you have helped other people. And, you know, we both know the work on you introduced me to Psyche many years ago. You, uh, I introduced you to um, the letting go release process of the release technique and the work of uh, Lester Levinson. And there are many other really interesting um, methods by which neurolinguistic programming of unearthing, if you will, dehabituating the work of Joe Dispenza, 
of dehabituating the brain and the mind both to bring forward a consciously desired kind of life, lifestyle, and outcome, or series of outcomes. It's, that's, Would that's you say? Beautiful. It's beautiful because in my personal experience, not having had that, but knowing the mechanism and then applying that mechanism, that my whole life is... I, I love being on this planet. <laughs> this is yeah. so beautiful, in spite of everything uh-huh. going around, because my world doesn't include the the average world. Yes, I got different <laughs> creation going. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. And but because you are who you are, and you've got the heart that you have, you have been sharing this as uh, a teacher. Uh, and around the world, and many people are getting this message. Now, you know, it's so interesting, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to begin to want to explore and adventure about different applications of this understanding of not being enslaved by, imprisoned by, dictated by our genes, but by having the, you know, the metaposition or epigenetic position toward our genetic blueprints that we can basically do anything and that our emotions and our beliefs are influencing the life of the cell every moment, so why not make it conscious and deliberate? And that can be applied to our, uh, our professional lives, to our personal um, uh, lives and relationship, as you know, you've written about extensively. Right? I mean, it's health is one aspect of the whole. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a creative. It's just how we create our lives and that we are co-creating together. And if we got on the same page and thought the creation would be so magnificent, and it was, exactly. and now the question is, uh, you know, getting back personal power and personal control during these upheaval times because this is where we learn to create. And as a, each individual learns to create, uh, the garden will reappear in front of us. <laughs> yes, that Garden of Eden. I love well, it. My dear friend Bruce Lipton, I so appreciate your work. You are on every single year. We've got to get you back in New York for a, a, a TV interview again. I think our time uh, is up with that, right? Uh, New York is uh, – I'm, I'm – I'm, gotten so far west <laughs> young man go west i keep going west i didn't even stop at california i go west now to new zealand <laughs> i know i know hey wait a minute i saw you in new york a few months about a year ago right yeah. we had a wonderful visit so i know that you still know how to come east but yeah we I, I like coming east every now and then just see hey checking in are you guys doing stuff i gotta go now <laughs> just remember where you were born my friend that's all <laughs> but look i'll come either to the west coast or to new zealand whichever it's going to take and uh, we'll do some follow-up work for the benefit of our audience at a better world i, I just want to thank I so you appreciate again. you mitchell i uh, i want to say that i just appreciate the opportunity to to speak to your audience because um we're going to get out of this mess, but it's going to take us That's as individuals. Right. It's a participatory evolution. It's not one you're going to sit in the living room and then one day open up the blinds and go, oh, 
evolution has occurred. No, if evolution is <laughs> occurring, we are all working together, and Absolutely. and that's the mission that we're on. Absolutely. God bless you, Bruce Lipton, my dear friend. Thank that's you all. again for being Let me come on. back and talk again sometime, all right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, and thank you, audience. Absolutely. Bye-bye now. Bye. Dr. Bruce Lipton, www.brucelipton.com, and his books, The Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, which he co-authored with Steve Behrman, a.k.a. Swami Byandananda, who has also been a guest on our radio and TV shows, and over time, as well as Bruce wrote The Honeymoon Effect, which we referenced earlier in today's show. His work, I've been saying for decades now, deserves the Nobel Prize. It just is of that level. It changes everything. When you truly digest what it is that Bruce was sharing with us all, really let it permeate your brain cells and your heart, you'll go, oh, my God, I have been living and laboring under a false belief. No fault of mine, no fault of ours, But it's true. We were taught something that just simply isn't true. Now, its science is on its own evolutionary course and mission. This is not a matter to blame someone. It wasn't foisted upon us to create, you know, ignorance, but rather... That was the level of understanding at a certain point in time until, and it really is true, Bruce Lipton came along and peered into his microscope day after day after day into those Petri dishes, observed what he did, and came to the conclusion. One point uh, that he did not make, many points, but one important point is that he removed the nucleus of the cell, which we always called the brain of the cell. And the cell lived on as it had before the nucleus removal. Oh, talk about standing on one's head. What? How could that be? But it was and is, and this is replicatable by any scientist who would like to do it. So what you see is that the cell ain't what we thought. The gene ain't what we thought. Both play vitally important roles in the larger human biological landscape, terrain, God knows. But it's just not what we thought it was. And knowing now what we know puts us, we, whatever it is we identify as ourselves. As he was saying, Mitchell, the community of 50 trillion cells. By the way, most of them are bacteria, not even human cells. We're far outnumbered by bacteria. All of us, not just me. And when we digest, again, no pun intended, these facts, 
it gives us a point of leverage from the place of the human will and the activation of both the conscious and the subconscious minds, as Bruce so eloquently was discussing, so that we can undo, unravel those subconscious programs that are not serving us. And I made the point loud and clear that there are many that actually do serve us, like being able to walk, like being able to drive, like being able to talk, like being able to do a lot of things. It's not somehow that the subconscious is bad. It couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it's like saying a computer is bad. No, the computer is not bad. The computer is just a computer. And what we put into it should be examined. And that, of course, is what we're talking about. And what we're talking about is also what Socrates talked about. The unexamined life, he said, is not worth living. Isn't that interesting? Well, what does examination actually consist of? It is what Bruce was laying out here so profoundly. Examination of one's life has to do with looking at what is conscious and what is subliminal, what is subconscious, to be brought to consciousness. I'm going to keep this, but I'm going to get rid of that. I still want to know how to drive. I still want to know how to walk and run and ride my bike. But uh, being angry at people over the smallest little things, I think I'm going to give that one up. Oh, my God, I learned that from my father. I learned that iteration of it from my mother. How do I know? When I start to look, I can actually see it, hear it, and feel it in my own body. Next time you watch your parents, either in person because they're still alive or playing it through in your mind's eye or even looking at a photograph or a video, take these thoughts with you. Lo and behold, you will begin to identify yourself with those aspects of them that you're seeing and carrying inside yourself, the way you sound, the way you walk, the way you laugh, on and on. Now, there is a part of ourselves that we are generating, which is, quote, unquote, us, that unique blend of both characteristics from characters of both both parents, and that does become uniquely us, and we are consciously forging that us, that individual unique self through our review, examination, self-examination, and choosing what parts of the subconscious mind we want to keep and letting go of the rest. It's very interesting. This can also be equated, by the way, with brain development. Because that's part of it, because different emotions govern different parts of the brain. As we know, fear is, corresponds with the reptilian brain and the amygdala. It's, just, it's part and parcel of its function. Just like we in Chinese medicine talk about fear, in this case, being associated with the kidney and the urinary bladder. And if you think about it, it's a very interesting correspondence. When people become very fearful, we say they as the phrase has it, 
pee in their pants. Well, isn't that interesting? It's also connected with and corresponds to the knees. The knees. The knees shake. When people get scared, what is that cartoon figure where the knees are wobbling and shaking back and forth when someone is experiencing fear? The Chinese have a whole mapping of the relationship of organs and body parts and emotions. It's just a different way of looking. But when you start to connect all of these dots, you see that there is a level of development goes from fear to joy and love and gratitude and brotherhood and sisterhood. And the good news, as Bruce was making very clear, the choice is ours. We can program ourselves, deprogram first from the subconscious aspects of ourselves we don't want to continue to promulgate, and reprogram ourselves according to our conscious wishes and desires to become the person we want to be. As many of you who listen with regularity know that I've had Joe Dispenza on the air a number of times, both on radio and TV, and he is also one of my friends and uh, mentors, as is Bruce. And uh, he has written a book said called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Well, that's kind of an amusing way of stating that our subconscious has been ruling us for most of our lives. And as Bruce put it, 95% of our lives is spent living out of that subconscious mind. So, hello, what if we consciously intercede, as it were, and begin to make a different type of choice which then allows for a different kind of cerebral neurophysiological entrenchment, a new neural network which gives us a new habit that this time is by choice. Wow. That's where we're going, folks. That's the direction of true human evolution. And um, and a lot of my colleagues in the space, most namely Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza, and certainly many others. Anyway, I want to just thank you all for your deep and loving attention and realize that it is up to us to formulate and shape our own attention and intention and brain, quite literally, building our brain as we would want And this is not magic. This is not hocus-pocus. It used to be. But it is basically metaphysics made into physics and neurophysiology, all based on, a lot of it, on uh, real uh, highly observant understanding of biology that Dr. Bruce Lipton has helped to bring to the foreground. And uh, if I had a vote for who wins the Nobel Prize We might have to invent an American Nobel Prize just so I can help award it to my dear friend Bruce Lipton. No, really, that's that's the level of work that he has accomplished, and it's no longer a matter of maybe. It's a matter of fact. So please go to our website, and you can uh, listen to my interviews with Bruce over the course of 
the past many years in Radio Archive. Just put his name into the search engine under Radio Archive and tune in. And uh, on our in our Amazon store, you can put his name into the search engine there as well. Order my interviews with Bruce on DVD once when his book first came out. Really interesting, powerful learning for our audience. And And I'd also say, share this with people you care about, loved and others. (laughs) It's, uh, It's a new awakening and, God willing, a new beginning and furthering for some of us of our understanding of our possibilities and our true power in a world that seeks to make us in many ways into victims and uh, God 